In this episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with Scott Dietl to talk about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. The asset that Bitcoin is most commonly compared to is gold, and we call it digital gold. Moving away from cash as we know it. You see a lot of science, businesses don't want to accept cash anymore. And the problems that are arising due to the substantial increase of the money supply. It's 40% of all the U.S. dollars in circulation were created in 2020. So tune in and start living more of your life now. I'm super excited uh, to have you, Scott, uh, in live podcast. This is not the new studio, but this is the retro. This could be the last podcast in the retro studio. So thank you for coming out and, and checking out you know the, the new compound and, and what potentially will be the next picture well. So thanks a lot. For coming out today, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm stoked to be here. So, uh, as although people may look up your bio and and see that you are you know in the benefits business and you've got a whole another more exciting side in my opinion, and we've worked together and known each other for a long time, and uh, and that's crypto and you know cryptocurrency and I think you know this isn't going to be a how to and how Bitcoin works and all that stuff. This is your actual you know you know real life experience with this stuff, this thing, this mysterious thing that no one really knows about, but lots of people in different places do know about. So back me up, because I don't know if I actually know the real of like when you actually said, I'm going to do some research into what crypto is. So when did that actually happen? Yeah. uh, Yeah. So investing in crypto has become my greatest passion and interest. I think it's a fascinating space and super poorly understood. Um, how did I get started? Uh, it, I've actually only been really, uh, really involved in investing and studying crypto for about a year and a half. So um, it was just, it was just as things were kind of shutting down. And you know, the, the real story for me is like anybody. I think I think when things really closed down, I went through a period of um, you know probably too much wine for a week or two. And too <laughs> yeah, much, been too, there, yeah, been there. Too much Netflix and. Sort of shook up the cobwebs one morning and and just set my mind to if you know if we're all going to be slowed down, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know use this time to try and better myself or or learn something, and I was becoming more curious just around inflation and you know um, we were watching as part of my my work and benefits we were watching Justin Trudeau's daily uh, press conference releases about the. You know, there were at that time. It's it feels like forever ago now, but there was just so much happening every day in terms of how is the government going to help us get through this time? It's first, sort of, you know, none of us have ever experienced anything like this, and they were we were being, you know, retrospectively, a lot was being asked of us: close our businesses, stay home, and you know, basically, the government was going to come up for ways to smooth everyone through it, and. And the the obvious or the first solution required the the printing of a lot of money, and so I actually fell backwards into crypto um, by looking first into inflation and just being curious about that. And I um, I came upon a book called The Price of Tomorrow by a Canadian guy named Jeff Booth, who uh, it's a great book. It ends up being about Bitcoin, uh, but it's not only about Bitcoin. Uh, but it was that book. That got me interested, and I remember uh, in university being told that you need to read six books on a subject to be considered an expert. 
Okay. Yeah. So I actually cleared my work schedule for the following week and I read six books on crypto the next week. And uh, so that was kind of my Kickstarter into really sort of trying to understand what it was. And I mean, to flash back to that, so that was March of 2020. And at that time, um, crypto had really bottomed out. So this, you know, the, uh, the start of the pandemic was really bad for the stock market. It was also really bad for crypto and Bitcoin got, got, you know, quite low. So there was a, there was a market cycle, uh, between, um, 2016 and 2020 where Bitcoin topped off at just, uh, just right around 20,000. And it was a big deal. Uh, Bitcoin's always had these different milestones when it hits a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, $20,000 was a big number. Uh, from 20, it retraced big time back into the sort of three, 4,000 range. And as a, as luck happened for me, when I got interested in, in researching it, uh, it was still, it was basically, uh, the bottom of the market. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So I, I think it's important to, just cause you, you're understating, uh, the courage it takes to go into that space and and what you sort of committed. I think a lot of people find it difficult to invest. They can always find different reasons why not to. And, you know, maybe it was luck for you, but like that first dollar that you put into it in an, like what was your thought process? And you're very, you know, again, I know you're a very strategic person. So what was the thought process of like, I'm going to make this trade or I'm going to put $1 in. And was it, you know, a sequence of small little dollars or was it, you know, you, you went in bigger or, you know, how did you even make the full pull the trigger? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a journey and a, uh, of around sort of like understanding Bitcoin on its own. And that took me a long time to really wrap my head around it. And you know, there's still today an ongoing debate around what kind of value does this thing have? It's, it's intangible, you know, you can't touch it, uh, where, you know, you store it on some <clears throat> USB stick in your whatever, you know, like there, there are things that are a little bit of a stretch for you to wrap your imagination around something's intrinsic value as an investor. And, um, for me, that book, Price of Tomorrow, had a lot to do with getting me in the headspace that I that where I I felt like there was going to be some kind of ramification from all of the the money that governments were printing. It wasn't just Canada. See, the U.S. has printed trillions. Forty percent of all the U.S. dollars in circulation were created in 2020. Hmm. So uh, there is going to be some effect, uh, and you know whether Bitcoin is the right. Uh, move as an investor to make i felt at my at that time for me um it was the move that i wanted to make and uh so how did i start buying that that was it my first purchase was bitcoin uh bitcoin's kind of a kind of a gateway drug and yeah, yeah. Uh, what they call altcoins which are you know everything else uh, that exists in cryptocurrency outside of uh, outside of bitcoin and um so once I once I learned about Bitcoin and and what it did and the the problem real world problem that it's kind of b- built to solve, um, the the rabbit hole of what um, these um, visionaries and tech designer guys are, are working on these other projects is 
it's fascinating. I just started uh, sort of voraciously studying everything I could get my hands on, and, and I still do. Yeah, and that's uh, that's it's a good segue to, you know, I think you you described it before as Bitcoin is gold and Ethereum is oil, or that's how some people you know describe it. But you know, I, I'm finding more and more people are commenting in questions and from my clients, they're asking now about Ethereum. You know, so that's and I think it's probably because of the apps. You know, usually have Bitcoin and Ethereum together, but you know, store of value is Bitcoin, correct? So mm-hmm. this is, you know, you put your money there and it's going to, you know, hopefully go up in the future. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into the weeds about that. Ethereum, what is Ethereum or what is this this thing called ETH? Yeah. Um, the Ether token that exists on the Ethereum network is really, I think, uh, it's a reimagining of what money can be. And so... You know, in the in the past, uh, you know, in the entirety of human history, um, money has just been uh, something that has sort of kind of a fixed value, and you use it to buy goods and services with. And so, ether, you know, is is um, I call it smart money. And so, with the ether, it's still a medium for exchange, and there are people that argue that it could be a store of value too. Uh, so that debate I think is yet to unfold. Um, but it's, it's money that you can exchange and, but into that exchange, you can build an agreement into. So Ethereum is what's called a smart contract platform and smart contracts are, you know, uh, agreements or, or contracts or arrangements with conditions, um, that you can build into the uh, you can build into the exchange of the token, and so if you imagine, um, you know, in in the stock world, you can you have options where you can you can make an arrangement ahead of time to buy or sell a stock at a lower price than it is selling for today. So if you imagine being able to buy a cup of coffee with that option, that's what ether is. It's mm. the ability to to build parameters into a money exchange. So it's it's smart money. So, so and again, I, I'm I'm up to speed on the space, but I I still want to unpack that more. Like in theory, so a smart contract would be instead of a lawyer, you know, this is one of the theories is you buy a house and you use the Ethereum network. So try to put like uh, an example or a scenario around how this smart contract would work. Do you have an example for listeners of like, wh- what is a, a contract? Like what's the most recent one that's in the most simple form yeah. that you can kind of think of? Yeah, I mean, a super simple uh, a contracts would be uh, like a sports bet. And so um, you, you, can, you can bet on uh, you know, that the Oilers are going to win the Jets series. Uh, so this has happened yeah. already, so we know they didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, you, you, can, you can bet on Team A beating Team B um at a certain score and if team a does win then you get x amount of value so a smart contract is a is a simple arrangement where the parameters are black and white and you don't really need a middleman to determine whether or not the that contract has been satisfied right so those things can be kind of plugged in and the agreement gets executed when the game's done and there is a score so that can, that can be you mentioned real estate and you know in a lot of ways selling your home 
is a simple agreement. Party A agrees to sell a home at a certain price and party B agrees to buy it at that price. And what happens in between is the exchange of money and title. Right. So that really doesn't necessarily need human intervention. And in the future, it won't. And those those are the kinds of transactions that can take place on the Ethereum network once it's been more broadly adopted. Right. And I, I side note, I heard uh, uh, from a realtor the other day that, you know, people are potentially listing their house and going to sell their house with, you know, you could buy it with Bitcoin. I'm shifting gears a little bit. But one thing that I found interesting was if there's a mortgage on the house, the mortgage company needs to be paid in dollars. So if you've got a $2 million house, you can't, you know, and it's got a $1 million mortgage. Yeah. You can't just come to the table with $2 million and take everybody out and buy it with your Bitcoin. A million would have to be paid in cash to then pay off the mortgage. And then the other million potentially could be paid in Bitcoin. Is that how you... Because I know this is something you've yeah. explored. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, probably, theoretically, the kinds of Bitcoin real estate transactions that work today are ones where there isn't a mortgage. Uh, right. Yeah. For that reason. Um, but that's going to change, too. There's a... There, there's a, a massive change happening behind the scenes where uh, the big banks want to or need to be able to custody these assets. And um, when that happens, when you can go to a, a TD or a Scotiabank and either have them store your Bitcoin for you or they will own some Bitcoin, you know, the, it's unclear yet, but I, I, I see it where you know, the big financial institutions are so ingrained and established and they're not really in the business of losing the stranglehold that they have on financial services. So they're going to be wanting to participate. And if there is a broad uh, consumer demand for these products, you better believe like the banks are going to find a way to be there. So if if it gets to a sort of watershed threshold where people want to be able to buy houses in Bitcoin and the banks can either participate in that or be left out, um, you know, these are things that are, that's how it's going to go. So, um, I think that that, and that's the thing, you know, the regulatory clarity around what Bitcoin is and isn't in Canada is pretty clear. It's property. So Bitcoin kind of falls under commodities rules. And, um, that's a big thing. I, I think I, even myself, I'm trying to get away from that term cryptocurrency because currencies are, implies the sort of predatory, that these are technologies that are meant to um, compete with or eliminate the governments. You know, governments have had a monopoly on money. And that's been a big thing that people have a hard time wrapping their heads around or people are skeptical because it seems to them to be unlikely that governments are going to be that interested in giving up that monopoly. Uh, but that's the thing is most of these, most cryptocurrencies don't aspire to compete with or replace government money they're you know alternative solutions to entirely other things and even bitcoin itself it's not designed to be um you know transacted at the volume that cash is exchanged like it's Mm -hmm. it's just not really built for that so it's that's not what it'll be for so banks can hold your gold banks can hold all kinds of your property uh so it just makes sense that banks would hold your bitcoin too right and is it do you see it as like a all or nothing industry like it's you know some people say you know it's like you just said the government well they're just going to wipe it all out and i i think lately that's been shifting and you know certain people in parliament in the u.s you know it's there is an adoption opposed to nuking it 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from an investment standpoint, was that something you considered investing? It was like, this is going to be something for the future or was this a, um, I'm in and if it goes to zero, fine. Or, you know, it's going to be something that's bolted onto your portfolio of other things. Is that the stance or what stance did you take? Uh, yeah. I mean, so for me, there's like, I, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a crypto maximalist. I I'm heavy into it. I, and I, I have a really sort of intense conviction about where the space is going to go. So when I got to that place very quickly, um, you know, I'm almost entirely weighted to, to that sector, which you would probably advise no one to do. It's not for everybody. Um, but yeah, that, that's just to give anybody who's listening a little bit of a, you know, more background around me. So yeah, I think that again, when I, when I started to really understand Bitcoin, um, you know, you hear things on the news about Bitcoin's going to be outlawed or it's going to go to zero. In my opinion, as it's my investment opinion only, I think there's a 0% chance of that. Yeah. So it's not really something I'm worried about. I think that, um, yeah, if you're, when you're investing in cryptocurrency, the volatility will really turn your stomach. It is pretty intense and it's definitely not for everybody, but, um, volatility is what comes with, uh, the rewards that you can experience investing in cryptocurrency. And, uh, so you, you kind of can't have the sweet without the sour. It's, uh, it's just sort of how it is. <laughs> I, I tell people a story about, you know, getting back to Ethereum. Ethereum was 97 cents in January of 2016. This is us prices. I always talk about us prices. So if you, if you invested a thousand dollars in Ethereum in January of 2016, uh, two years later in January of 2018, you've had, you'd have had $1.3 million. If you waited another year, you would have had $138,000. If you'd <laughs> waited two more years, you'd be at, uh, as of kind of the beginning of May, $4 million. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty intense volatility. You would have gone from a million <laughs> to have lost 90% of your million to have then, you know, 40 times it in the next two years. And so these are the kinds of things that happen. And, you know, very, very, very few people in the entire world invested even $1,000 in Ethereum in 2016. So there just aren't a lot of people who did that. But, um, yeah, Ethereum still has the chance to do that again and right. over the next five years. And so, that's why so two I'm, questions. I got, I got to just, uh, what in your research causes the volatility? And second question would be, you know, how do these tokens have scale to, you know, how does Ethereum have scale to be in the future worth more? Okay. Uh, So what causes the volatility? Um, There's a couple factors to keep it, uh, you know, not super in the weeds. One is the... Um, you know, kind of market irrationality. So people expect, investors inspect, ex- expect markets to behave in a rational way, and they don't. In crypto, uh, because crypto is trades 24-7 and it's global, um, you know, we sort of, you know, you joke, but it's true. The North American traders trade it all day, and then they go to bed, and Asia wakes up, and they start trading it, and they do whatever they do while we're sleeping. Yeah, And we get to wake up every morning and see what happened. 
And so it's a never stopping, it's a never ending cycle. Uh, and, and the sort of hype cycle and the life cycle, of these bull run movements, um, is so compressed compared to what you see in mm. more traditional investing that it makes people hyper irrational. And so it, the, the highs, the emotional highs are way higher when your money's going through the roof and the lows are even more intense and people, you know, so this, they call it fear greed index and, and the pendulum swings really quickly between fear and greed where people go from thinking they're invincible and they're making these life altering amounts of money and then you can lose it all in days or hours. And, mm-hmm. uh, so the, as, as contagious as the greed is, so is the fear. So at the slightest turn of the market, um, that does, uh, shake out the, the, um, you know, if you're not fully bought in, it makes it hard to ride that. So that's where I always recommend to people, if you want to invest in crypto, either don't look at it or try to learn as much as you can. Because uh, if you're sort of somewhere in the middle, it's a tough place to be because you're always sort of wondering what's going on, but you don't know enough to have the peace of mind that you need. Um, the other part of what goes on with price is there is absolutely large scale price manipulation happening. The wealthiest people in the world and the largest investment institutions in the world are certainly involved and they, they do manipulate the price. The cryptocurrency space is so pegged to the price of Bitcoin. Uh, the manipulation predominantly happens with manipulating the price of Bitcoin, which can trigger large scale sell-offs in the altcoins. And so uh, the, the larger in- investors will basically, you know, buy Bitcoin, generating positive momentum, set up short positions, trigger sell-offs. And so they make money on the way down. And then when everyone, uh, when a lot of the smaller investors have panicked and sold off, they just buy it back cheaper and right. repeat and rinse and repeat. So, um, so that is what's going on. It's important. And I, that's where I also sort of tell people uh, it's easier said than done, but you want to honestly just try and buy it and, and and just hold it. Yeah, and a perfect injection spot for this is not a buy or rec, uh, buy or sell recommendation mm-hmm. of anything we're talking about. It's for education purpose only, and and do your research. But uh, so and manipulation, I, I think you know it isn't corruption. You know, it's it's just when you have orders that are big, it just. You know, and if there's all these computer models, we see it in the stock market, and it's that's a it's a bigger market, and there's more things, so it's kind of watered down. It doesn't happen as, as frequent or as drastic. But you have, you know, I always explain to people, you know, I think if a money manager decides to buy CP Rail or a certain stock, and they're putting in hundreds of millions, or you know, that obviously has influence, and people pay attention to when they're watching the volumes and when they're watching institutional sponsorship versus private sponsorship, and that's companies versus you know people and an institution has got research teams and all this stuff and they're buying obviously that's a good indication it's probably a buy and so you have this movement but you can you don't really know who sells on the way out or sells over days out you know out in time so that's a good uh you know thing so we've talked about volatility i think it's important to sort of say you know you got bitcoin as this thing that's a store of value we've got ethereum that's you know, maybe a you know a, a smaller but potentially bigger, and it's a smart contract thing. I want to pick on a you know pick on, but I want to touch on an altcoin. So you've sort of got 
big, middle, and then these smaller coins. And in the smaller coin category, there's various sizes. So uh, the most questions I get from clients lately is, is XRP or Ripple. Uh, everything from, you know, I'm at a two-year-old's birthday party and a, some dad's asking me about it to family members asking me about it. So obviously, the marketing or promotion is working somewhere or someone's made some money and, you know, that's how the, the world kind of works. But what is an altcoin? And XRP, I think the business model is easy to understand of, you know, like how banks kind of change. But maybe help us understand what these smaller tokens do and what does the token where does it fall in? And like, I'm trying to say like, well, help us understand XRP first. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say XRP. It's a great example to, um, it's, it's one of the first ones that helped me understand what was happening in the, in the cryptocurrency space outside of Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, XRP has a long history and it's one of the, it's been a top 10 cryptocurrency by market cap for, you know, uh, the majority of the time the space has existed so it's a big established company and what what xrp what's the what the xrp token does is facilitate uh international wire transfers between large financial institutions and so in today's world swift the system that that does that is called swift everyone's kind of heard of it's you know okay. people know about swift and and swift has has is a legacy financial process that has existed forever if you're somebody who, uh, you know, so I have benefits clients that, that um, bring in foreign workers. And so these people who come here, say, from the Philippines, they're working in um, remote areas. And a lot of the money that they make, they, they send back to their families. That's the whole point of them being here. And wire transfers are, you know, if you're sort of in that world, wire transfers are two things. There's two big problems with the Swiss system. They're slow. Uh, and they're expensive. And so uh, a wire transfer, you know, for an individual or for a large institution um, could take days or even weeks. And the margin on wire transfers is really high. 15% could be even higher. And so XRP token solves both those issues with um, sort of limitless dollar value, international wire transfers, um, being nearly instantaneous and costing for pennies. So um, how it works in practice, it, it, you know, in today's world, if you want to wire transfer some money to the Philippines, you go to the bank, wire transfer order, they need to, the sort of the banks on either end need to connect and the, the, the currency gets sort of converted and then shipped. And there's this transit period where the currency is frozen. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at a macro level, all of that money, it's $123 trillion a year that gets processed through SWIFT payments internationally. And so at, at a given time, a huge amount of money in the world is frozen in transit. And it doesn't matter so much for people in day to day, but anytime money has kind of downtime is bad for the global economy. And so what Ripple does is basically it's sort of like a lubricant for the international flow of currency and, um, and the, the margin on it is a massive deal. So if all of a sudden we're moving from a 10 or 15% margin on an international wire transfer to pennies, um, there's, there's going to be broad implications for international trade. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because it's eliminating all that, they call it friction and removing the friction between sending money between countries. And so, so the ripple, the XRP token is required because basically on one end, you would be say purchasing a million dollars of XRP with the Canadian money. And then there's an instantaneous transfer of those million dollars worth of XRP tokens to a person in another country. And then they just convert it into their currency of choice. And, and so that's how it's, that's how it's done instantly. And that's how it's done for, for next to nothing in price. So you're, you're basically, so in that, from an investment standpoint, I think this is where people get hung up in the, it isn't, there's an investment side and then there's the utility side where somebody is using it. And if you're transacting so fast and, you know, so again, foreign worker works in, you know, our region needs to send money back to the Philippines. So it's a $10,000, you know, by the time it gets to the Philippines, it might be 9,050, 9,950 opposed to 8,000. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of efficiency there and it happens quite fast, but they're in and out of the XRP token quite quickly. Yeah. So the price movement, maybe it goes up a couple percent or less or, or stays flat because it happens instantaneous. But that, that is the person that's investing in it is buying. Right now, we're, we're still in a gold rush speculative stage where we're trying to figure out what that token median range is is that am i kind of trying to understand that like and so this is the interesting thing about xrp specifically is it's a it's a it's a token that's not meant for retail investment but they it's been out there sort of in the crypto space and people have been able to buy it and from an investment standpoint what you're really doing in purchasing some of xrp's tokens is it's a bet on ripple the company's ability to be successful in getting banks to adopt their system and replace mm. the SWIFT system. So today, the there is traffic happening on the XRP network of these SWIFT transactions, but they have a tiny fraction of this $123 trillion market cap. So basically what will happen is, is if they're successful and banks start using it instead of SWIFT, then they will need those tokens to actually facilitate the transactions. And so banks will start holding the token because it'll be, it's, they, people call it a banker's coin. And so the, the need for banks to have the tokens to facilitate the transactions will um, mean that the banks will be holding them. And so that means they'll drive up the demand for the token. Right. So that's what you're buying today. What I like about Ripple, the company, is they're a great example. And I say this to people, there, there's many, many examples of this in the cryptocurrency space is these these companies are backed by legitimately you know in in, X, in ripple's case they're they're partnered already with several of the biggest banks in the world the ceo of of ripple is the only cryptocurrency person of significance who is on the world economic forums board of advisors so uh they're a great example where these are not some kind of you know, uh, shadowy, unknown. I mean, these are companies that are dealing with the biggest companies in the world. Right. Yeah. And, and how, how does, <laughs> I think of like, you know, now we've talked about all coins and the demand for this. And, and I don't know if it was you or somebody told me back when I was, re, you know, started research. It's kind of like we're back in 1995 and someone says, well, you, you got to use this thing called the internet. 
and you don't really know that you need something. And, you know, I, I, I just like the analogy of like, you know, a web company in 1995 building video software to put on your website. Well, if someone doesn't even know that they need a website or think that's a thing or email, then why the hell would they need this video on the website? And here we are now with, you know, real estate and all these different things using video. So is that, like, how do, how do you see the industry like 10 years from now? Like, where, where is this, where are all these altcoins fitting in? Like, let's see, there's thousands of them. Yeah, that's a great question. And it gets back to the first question we didn't answer about what, you know, what's the market cap of Ether and how, how high can these prices go? Um, so there's a lot there. I, you know, I think that uh, it's a great example of, you know, the internet in the 90s. Uh, for the same reason, I remember the same. I tell this story about, um, you know, we, when we got the we first got the internet. I think I was in grade ten or eleven, and my my mom sat me down to let me know we were going to have this thing called the internet. And I mean, you couldn't even do anything with it then. You could download a picture; it would take you an hour and a half to do it. Uh, and back then, really, people didn't know how the internet was going to be commoditized. And to make a more recent example. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 2012 that Facebook went public. And when Facebook went public, there was a lot of analysts that thought Facebook didn't have a money-making model. And on the first day that it went public, the stock actually dropped. Uh, and so, we, you know, looking back now, it seems ridiculous. Say Facebook's one of the biggest, most profitable companies in the world, right? Mm. And so it wasn't even obvious less than 10 years ago how a web giant could make money. Mm-hmm. and so yeah uh where so the, the scale like so where where is the scale in some of you know why would an eth go up from where it is you know for the potential for it to you know go up 20 percent in value what needs to happen or what you know based on your research what needs to happen what needs to get involved who needs to get involved or where you know, what adoption do we need to get to? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for right now, I would say the space in general is so heavily tied to Bitcoin. Bitcoin, um, the inflow of capital into Bitcoin creates runoff capital for investment into the other altcoins, mm. including Ethereum, which creates the crazy returns that spark more speculative investment into the altcoin market you know, so it's it's kind of a self-fulfilling cycle right now. And this is where I was, you know, where I landed last March, realizing that for me, there is an obvious reason and need for Bitcoin. And I see the value of Bitcoin going much higher. So to start there, um, you know, the, the sort of, it was a big deal when Bitcoin hit a trillion dollars. And um, so just to back, just to back up. So when and lots of people say, well, how is it worth a trillion the value of all the Bitcoin that's in circulation or available times its price creates a market valuation. So when you think of the, the market valuation of Royal Bank of Canada, it's how many stock shares are out there times its price. And that gives you the market valuation. So it sort of cut you off, but I think it's important to understand. So Bitcoin, its price times how many Bitcoin are out there is its market valuation and it just hit a trillion or no? Or uh, yeah, it was earlier. I don't quote me on the date or, okay. you know, within the last year. Uh, and so, so, you know, uh, this is where, you know, 
to try and wrap people's head around the potential opportunity for continued uh, the kinds of returns like I was talking about between Ethereum from 2016 to today. You know, why could that happen again? So the 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 thing, the asset that Bitcoin is most commonly compared to is gold, and we call it digital gold. And so the global market cap of gold is somewhere around 15 trillion. So for Bitcoin just to become sort of on par with gold as an asset globally, if people start to view it equally, uh, institutions, etc., uh, that would be a 15 times move from here. Or not not even from here. Uh, yeah, from from the price it was when it was uh, a trillion. Yeah. So so that's obviously a much much higher price. Um, for that to happen, though, gold would have to not be seen as the the thing that you know fictitiously people peg to a value. Uh so I you know I don't know about if that's true even because I mentioned about 40% of the US dollars in circulation being created in 2020. Uh the the general supply of money in the world is really has been expanded quite a bit in the last year and a half and it's already true today to say that um, 15 trillion today doesn't mean what it meant in 2016. It's they're quite different. Mm. So um, Bitcoin could easily get to 15 trillion and have a, a nominal value of 15 trillion, but kind of the relativity of how much money it it has sucked up as a percentage of the total money available is going to be a lot less. And so um, that's that's part of the reason why. You know, I think it's important to sort of stop there and, and just say that, you know, it's this thing around, you know, Bitcoin's permanent fixed supply is, is very meaningful in contrast to how much money has been created out of thin air, you know, in the last year and a half. You can't and create more Bitcoin. You can't create more Bitcoin. And, um, but you can't create more money. You can create right. a lot more money. And so the more money that's created, I mean, in theory, Bitcoin only needs to continue to capture the same percentage of the money market it was capturing before. And the governments are doing the work for Bitcoin by creating more money. So Bitcoin could get to 15 trillion by doing nothing, uh, by not gaining in any market share of sort of its view of where it fits in. And government's just creating more money for people to buy it. It's just standing there with a bucket and yeah. catching stuff. Yeah. So, I, and this is, you might not have asked this, but I just thought of so. When they print more money in all your research, do you ever figure out, do they actually print cash and, and put it somewhere or sprinkle it out? Or do they just digitally go on a computer and just... You know, and I think that's the thing because uh, there's some... So there's there's a separate basket of where the cryptocurrency thing uh, space is headed. And they're called central bank digital currencies. China has already, is in the early stages of having launched theirs. So they're running their physical... Renminbi next to their their digital yuan, and uh, the they're they're moving towards a cashless society, um, and we'll be doing the same. So the Bank of Canada and the, and the Fed, um, everybody is working on some kind of central bank digital currency project. Uh, what's funny when you get into researching that, you realize that no, they 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 don't necessarily print the money to correspond to every dollar that exists. Our money is, in a large sense today, already digital. And they are sort of ledgers of ones and zeros. And uh, it's just that we do still have the physical representation of this stuff. And 
Um, but that'll change too. Uh, you know, I think that things have changed a lot in terms of see businesses are looking, you see a lot of signs, businesses don't want to accept cash anymore. Um, you know, a trend has been started to move away from cash and it wasn't just getting away from pennies and nickels and the smaller coins. It'll be everything. And I think that, uh, we'll see that change unfold in the, in the second half of this decade for sure. You mentioned, uh, you know, you didn't even make me put my work gloves on for the segue, but uh, China and you live there. You taught English, or is yeah. that what you did? So you live there. Uh, you got to see it, be in it, immersed in it. Did being there and kind of seeing how advanced, like everyone always has stigmas and stereotypes about, you know, you know, over out there. And you know, did that? Does that help with your investment? You know, and in cutting through you know, the media and all that stuff and, you know, the negativity of certain spins on things, does that help in getting the context of how advanced they are in a number of different spaces or is that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I would say helpful. Um, I've done a lot of traveling and a lot of traveling in, in sort of, uh, the developing world. And so that probably that experience has been more beneficial for me. A lot of these things that make Bitcoin and other cryptos so uh, the use case so valuable um, is tied to things that I think if people who are, are you know Western people or people who haven't been to some more uh, exotic places in the world, uh, it's harder for us to understand. So there's a big problem in in a lot of the world for what they call unbanked people, and these are people who really have no means to achieve any kind of financial independence or stability because they they actually do not have access to banking or banks. So you, if you don't have a bank, you know, um, the, the wealth that you have is limited to what you can physically possess, safely store. Uh, you know, it's scary it's, a bit. Yeah. And, and, and a lot, like literally billions of people in the world live this way. And so Bitcoin allows you to store value, store your value in a way that it's incorruptible and can't be uh, the value of it is not determined by, you know, this is the other thing. A lot of those same places, their, their government issued money has been insanely volatile and in many cases printed into oblivion. Like Venezuela is the third highest adoption of cryptocurrency use in the world. And the Venezuelan, uh, the value of Venezuelan money has been a roller coaster. Um, that, you know, a, a, a situation of sort of gross abuse where they printed their own money to, to worthlessness and uh, similar things have unfolded in Nigeria and Turkey. So, uh, you know, we've been pretty insulated by that so far, but it's really not how it is in the rest of the world. And so, you know, a Bitcoin wallet lets somebody who, you know, a goat farmer in Iraq, and this is a real example. I, I, I watched a video on this the other day and it's people, as long as they have a mobile phone, they can have a Bitcoin wallet and they can start to accumulate some wealth. Mm-hmm. And so these are things that are solving, you know, many real world problems all at once that for, you know, people who live a very privileged life like we do can honestly, I just think be really hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Well, that, uh, you know, I think is, is super important. And I, I, you know, there's lots of camps. I think it's important to touch on sort of the three different camps of the crypto space. So you have, you know, Bitcoin, would you call Bitcoin and Ethereum together? Would you call it Bitcoin as one? Then you have decentralization 
as two. Well, actually, it'd be Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all the like smart contract companies, and then decentralization. Is that kind of your three? Yeah, you know, without I, getting too into the weeds, like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, gingerly yeah. asking the question, but because I, I want to keep it real simple so people can follow. But you know, some people, you know, I heard the other day from a hairdresser, oh, you got to buy this, you know, crypto thing. It's, you know, it's going to take over the banking, you know, and the no more government money. And I, I, I don't think that's where this world goes. Um, but it's a hype. It's a thing that people get excited on. And decentralization doesn't necessarily mean. You know, F the governments, they're all gone. It just means, you know, a, a more peer-to-peer kind of network. But are those the three camps of types of investments? Or uh, yeah, how would you I, distill I, the world into three? I yeah. only get three. <laughs> I only get three. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've learned the hard way. You know, the, there there are, uh, there are the har- hardcore Bitcoin people really hate any of the innovation that's happening in the space outside of it. And mm. so they wouldn't like to hear Bitcoin and Ethereum lumped together. Okay. I I do think, you know, I would say, in my opinion, what puts it Bitcoin and Ethereum together is that Ethereum also sort of has regulatory clarity. And so so there's no jeopardy in owning Ethereum that it's going to be illegal one day either, as far as, you know, things, obviously anything could change. But um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, Ethereum has also sort of passed the test around institutional investment. So you can mm. in Canada today already purchase Ethereum. You can own it directly, but you can also buy an ETF. You can buy traditional investment products where Ethereum is the underlying investment, right? which makes it different from everything beyond that. So there are companies that plan to offer retail investment products for some of the larger, uh, more established altcoin projects. But today it's just Bitcoin, Ethereum. So you know, when the Harvard University endowment wants to make a decision about owning a crypto position, it's pretty unlikely that they're going to be looking beyond Ethereum today. I think that'll change too. But so yeah, I would put those two together. Um, you know, I look at it more like market segments. So then I kind of look at the, we'll call them mid caps. So these are your altcoins that are, um, I would consider to be pretty established. Uh, like I mentioned, big partnerships. Um, fully fleshed out concept in terms of what they do. Um, and those could be, say, the from the third biggest project uh, to 50 or 100. It depends on where you want to draw the line. Right. And then you have, say, there's between seven and 10,000 of these projects in, in total. You've got everything else. So that's one way to look at it. Uh, you know, I think because after you get you know, when you get under, you know, these companies, once you get under uh, the 75th biggest project, now you're into companies that are uh, valued at less than a billion. And there have been instances of projects that big actually going to zero. And right. So you're into, you're into the more speculative stuff in terms of what they do. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, decentralized finance. I think these decentralized finance is a big one. I think that you know, uh, my experience from working in the financial sector has taught me a lot about how old a lot of these companies are in their way of thinking and doing things. And there really is a lot of room for um, updating those processes and bringing a lot of the way things have always been done into how they should be done for the next hundred years. And so XRP is such a good example of that. You know, the, uh, our, our bank's going to, 
get out of the uh, being the ones to transact large money, uh, large amounts of money on behalf of big clients? Probably not. Uh, but can they can they benefit from having a faster, cheaper way of doing it? Absolutely. And so um, some of these things uh, are going to be kind of you alluded to removing middlemen, uh, making it more peer to peer, making things more accessible. Um, I don't know. Now I'm kind of rambling. Well, it's it, you're you mentioned the peer to peer, which uh, there's, and again, I don't want to mention specific like tokens, but uh, there are tokens where you can lend other people money, and that you know I think saw an initial emergence maybe five years ago. I can't remember the websites, but they were you know you want to lend somebody some money, and you establish you know basically uh, using you know secure blockchain to to do that. So I I'm. I'm happy and and I I'm I'm grateful for you to be on the podcast today. I I do want you to just give us a insight. You do have something called your Patreon. Yeah. So what what is the Patreon or what is your Patreon? Yeah. Uh I uh so so I have done all this research and I and I you know it it's a passion project but it's something too where you know um I I I do, do want to share what I've learned and help people as you, I guess I know for myself in going through the journey of trying to become an investor and then where do you start and how do you make these purchase decisions? Um, where do you go for, for your research? Um, yeah, I, that's countless hours that I've put in and invested for myself. And it, it is for me, I believe, um, this is going to be an opportunity, uh, a financial opportunity that is, there's only been a handful of moments like this ever. And so basically I, I put together a, a, a member website uh, and Patreon's the platform uh, just to help, uh, to help people speed up and, and catch up and, and have access to the, the things that I'm using for my own research. A Cole's notes, if you yeah, will. Yeah, a Cole's notes. So so what I do is uh, this thing has three tiers. So I, I publish a daily newsletter, and uh, if you just uh, if you just want to read the daily newsletter, then uh, that's sort of the the base tier. And if you want to have some sort of interaction engagement with me, I, I offer um, technical support. And so if you if you need to learn how to do something, and that that's kind of half the work too, without diving too down too far down it, uh, you can own owning. Owning tokens is one thing. Storing them is another. There's a lot more you can do beyond that. And figuring out how to do those things um, can take hours, uh, hours and hours and hours. Oh, big time. Yeah. So so I do offer, um, you know, some technical support around that stuff. And then uh, there's a third tier where, where, uh, where I, I have taken on people in more of a crypto coaching capacity. So if you if you really want to get into this, and you're looking for someone to, again, it's not financial advice, but it would be everything that you'd need to get yourself. It's uh, a coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, And I think that goes for a lot of uh, different making an investment and in whether it's real estate, crypto, stocks, uh, you know, people are wanting to take this on themselves and, you know, that's, that's great. And, uh, but I think I want to unpack more about, you know, the decision to do it and, and how people do and, and coaching is, is a great way to fast track it. And, uh, 
you know, for, for you. And, and if you want to learn something, put your own money in and then teach people about it and, and help us give us, you know, you know we've had a good run and a, a good experience with crypto, but tell us, a you know, it doesn't have to be specific token, but anything where you've had to, you know, you've been down or you've been like, oh man, I thought that was going to be a great decision. And it turned out it wasn't because that's a common thing for people to experience in investing. Again, real estate stocks, I'm down. Okay. Do you recalibrate or how do you, how do you go through that thought process to stick to your plan or abandon it? Yeah. And is, you know, if you're open to share, you know, again, doesn't have to be a specific one, but a story where, and how you got through that decision. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think this is, this is part of why I want to get involved in helping other people is because the, the research component, I'll just call it non-traditional. The way people have made investment decisions in the past, a lot of these different, um, pathways to investing in our world, stocks, real estate, whatever, uh, it's pretty established. And if you want to get into one of those things, there is a, people you can seek out and uh, establish companies you can deal with. And they've got, you know, detailed research and, you know, stock markets performed for, for decades and decades and decades. So we've got lots of history and analysis. And because of how new everything is in this space, one, you know, that history doesn't exist. And two, um, you know, the, the industry, the support also doesn't exist. So there, there's a real gap in advice and helping people get started. And, uh, so yeah, I've had a lot, of, a lot of situations, uh, that, you know, don't pan out the way, the way they expect, uh, we're, we're recording this on May 31st. So two weeks ago, um, there was the, the largest percentage crash in a day in Bitcoin history. And, uh, when Bitcoin crashes, the smaller coins crash a lot more mm-hmm. because they're, they, they are smaller needles to move. And those prices tend to be, of, of the crypto space, Bitcoin tends to be the least volatile. Um, so Bitcoin goes down 10, roughly everything else 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on, on that day, I think, you know, I mean, Bitcoin lost 40% of its value of things losing 80, 100% of its value. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I had, I had uh, made a purchase in a, 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 a new position on a coin I've been looking at for a long time. And... Um, I I made it the day before, and uh, so so it it actually lost ninety ninety five percent of its value the the next day. Uh, yeah, so that's something it would never happen in the stock market, right? I mean, I mean, I guess it's possible, but you'd have to be pretty unlucky, for yeah, something like that to happen. Or penny stocks that yeah you missed something, yeah, and so. Um, this is where uh, there there isn't really a handbook investor guide. As an investor, you find yourself now in the situation where you're sitting on a position that's worth uh, it's down ninety five percent a day later. And what do you do? And where do you go to try and make a sound, educated decision? Uh, I, and again, I think it's you're going into it. You're you know I, I don't you know get the impression that you're a day trader. Um, you know, on the hour or whatever, but it gets more of a long-term belief in the, in the kind of nature of the thing. So then all of a sudden, if you were a day trader, now you're long-term hold. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or you, you get out and, and look at like, when you look at your own portfolio, do you look at it like a mini mutual fund of crypto of like, you've got a diverse 
or are you all sort of in one again not a buy or sell or how to allocate but i think important to understand how you think and and how you manage your risk yeah in the crypto space off of that example yeah i i, I have some uh you know i have i have tutorials around this on, on the on the patreon and i think that um you want to be careful about over diversification so it can be easy when you start if you start investing in altcoins and uh you have one all of a sudden you have five ten twenty and you know there there are some perils around trying to track that many um but also when you when you're over diversified you you dilute your profit back when you when you hit you get lucky and you hit a winner and so i i do try to be really conscious about the total number uh, I spend, I mean, as a disclaimer, I spend a lot more time in a day on this than almost anyone would have the time to do. Mm -hmm. And so even for me, um, I've gotten to times where I have had to pare it back because it's just gotten to be too much, too many different tokens. So, um, so that, that's something that I think is, so I do believe in having a mix. I, uh, I try to keep it under 30 with uh i have a real sort of heavy weighting on five or six mm -hmm. and sort of those core projects for me are ones that i've i've really again i've done my research really confident in and um and then i you know spread out for some i guess what yeah for, for some diversification <laughs> i think that uh for me there there's sort of four things that i look for you know in terms of fixing my my kind of heavier bets or my, my bigger investment positions and in the crypto space, um, the four things that I think really matter are one, I, I want uh, the head of the project to kind of be a genius. So a lot of these people are, quite honestly, um, the, 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 the person who's credited with sort of the idea or Ethereum was actually founded by a handful of people. But the, the main person in that project is a, is a young guy named Vitalik Buterin. And uh, he he is... Uh, you can, you can, you know, he's, he's almost better to observe for yourself, but mm -hmm. he's obviously a very, very bright person. Uh, he had this idea when he was really young, uh, a teenager still. And, uh, I think they, you know, he was in his early twenties. He still is, but, uh, when they had pulled Ethereum off and, and, uh, he'll be one of the wealthiest people in the world one day. So, um, you know, sort of visible genius running the show is, is one thing for me that's important to the, the use case or the function you know what's the real world solve of the of the purpose of the application does mm -hmm. it make sense to me is it something that i could see you know if we go back to xrp that one's pretty obvious it seems to me that of course the banks would have a use for something that's faster and cheaper than something that they're already doing mm -hmm. a lot of today so use case uh third one would be um the the community. So social media has a lot to do, I think, in my opinion, with the trading floors of these projects. So um, hype is important in driving the the investment and the growth of a, uh, appreciation of the price. But it's when things are going bad, it's the strength of the social media community that really those are the diehard holders who don't mm -hmm. sell when things look grim. And the more people you have in that it really does guarantee the floor of a project and and floors are important in crypto because of volatility so strong social media um community is is really important and so you want to see that um 
fourth one for me is kind of that crossover where it's the engagement of uh of the social media with the the project head you know it it has to have momentum right it's going to be something people are talking about and uh so so any of the ones that i have taken a real strong look at sort of tick all those boxes and, and a lot of the guys on those or the bigger players will say, you know, we want to be selling the picks and shovels to the miners and uh, instead of actually being the miner. So, you know, I, I did want to bring it up and, and I don't want to get too into the weeds. If, if you want to take a shot at mining and how, like, what is this term mining? It will just pick on Bitcoin because it's, the most it's gonna be the most mined uh, token, but that's how you uncover new tokens and bring them into circulation. Is that correct? Uh, no. Okay, good. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. So uh, I really, you know, mining such a funny word because it does totally use the word uncover. Mining implies kind of like a process where it's discovered or unearthed, and it's it's misleading because. What Bitcoin miners do is, um, to back it up, new new Bitcoins are issued based on um, a predetermined time schedule that cuts in half every four years. And so that process is automated uh, and doesn't require miners. Hmm. Um, Bitcoin's what's called a proof-of-work blockchain. And in a proof-of-work blockchain, uh, you heard these terms decentralized, which came up earlier. Decentralized is a big term in crypto, and it means that nobody owns the Bitcoin ledger. So that Bitcoin is basically this uh, uh, transparent history of transactions that happen on the Bitcoin network. And um, again, because Bitcoin isn't owned by anyone, it requires sort of a, a crowdsourced or external audit of the transactions that are happening on the Bitcoin network. So what miners do is validate that Bitcoin is working properly through what's called a consensus. So the mining community, all these um, miners around the world are basically um, verifying the accuracy of transactions and they get paid. uh, They get paid for that work in Bitcoin. So they're not creating new coins. They're just validating Mm the network for its accuracy and to make sure it's working properly. And, uh, and that's how they get paid. I, that could be a whole nother podcast yeah. in, uh, <laughs> in mining. So, uh, Scott, I really appreciate, is there anything else, uh, that you'd want to teach people about in the crypto space or that you're newly passionate about, or, you know, is there anything else on your mind that you'd want to share with with the general community. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, I mean, there's, um, the what maybe just to come back and, and finish that, that question we've touched a few times about where could this go? So I stopped talking about when we talked about, you know, Bitcoin and 15 trillion versus that's what the value of gold is. Uh, and you had mentioned about the internet and, um, you know, the internet boom is a great example of, we went from in 20 years, not even knowing how to use the internet to it is sort of the central force of the global economy today every business you know businesses lifeblood is being able to you know sort of do their business in person but some kind of online component um you know retail it's changed the face of the way retail works 
you know, video conferencing has changed the way business transacting is done. And so um, crypto and blockchain is uh, the, the scope of the potential for applications extends a lot beyond money. And that's why I said it's important to get rid of this term cryptocurrency and start using digital assets because hmm. um, the blockchain technology or what blockchain can do uh, because it is decentralized and people don't own it and um, it provides all these opportunities for people, if these billions of people who are living in you know more impoverished places than we are. Um, and and because it's not restricted to, uh, you know, if you want to invest in the U.S. stock market in Canada, it's that's pretty easy to do. Um, but, you know, there are still a lot of hoops and, you know, there's cross-border tax reporting. You're converting your profits back into Canadian to report to the CRA. Stock markets only trade between certain hours, Monday to Friday. Right, and so the accessibility of the opportunity for people to uh, participate in this is something that is pretty unique and can possibly, eventually, involve every person on the planet. And so today, the entirety of money that's been invested in crypto in total, Bitcoin and everything else included, is right around two trillion. Hmm. And so, opposed to the the traditional global financial system being hundreds of trillions, hundreds of trillions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the crypto space really does represent a totally new way for people all around the world to attain a, a, a level of a base level of financial security and independence, which, um, which is pretty significant on its own, but, but it, it'll be able to do a lot more than that. And so it's, it is, it's a lot like saying, if you try to imagine yourself, uh, sitting down with the version of yourself that was alive in 1990 and explain to that person, all the things the internet's going to do in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, that would have been really hard to, to visualize. Yeah. And if you flash forward to what 2040 will look like, it'll be like that with crypto. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And, uh, so what's the market cap of where all of crypto will go? Is it 10 trillion? Is it 50 trillion? Uh, there are hundreds of trillions of dollars today to be invested and smart money goes where the returns are. And Mm -hmm. so if crypto as a sector continues to perform at the rate that it has been, um, it's going to attract more and more money. Mm -hmm. And so it does have a lot of room left to go up. And uh, the likelihood of Bitcoin on its own going going down or going to zero over the long haul is, in my opinion, pretty low. So, mm-hmm. yeah. In uh, and again, the the picture of wealth is the name of the podcast. So you know this uh, we had a crypto spin on life, but uh, what is your ultimate picture of wealth? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. Um, I know ne- I never aspire to be super wealthy, and uh, I, I guess in a monetary sense, I, I, you know, it's uh, for me. For me, that kind of picture of wealth would be um, achieving a level of financial freedom where I had uh, total autonomy over my time, 
And so that could be more of my leisure pursuits or helping other people do this and attain that same level uh, of financial independence. Um, you know, I, th- I think that for me, yeah, it would be, um, I'll, I'll have, I'll have attained that picture of wealth where, where it's me determining how I spend every minute of my day. And, and today it's, I'm not quite there yet. I need a, I need a slightly higher Bitcoin price. <laughs> well, Scott, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know this is a hot topic right now for lots of people and it, it it probably will become you know more hot in the future. And uh, again, I appreciate you coming out to the compound. And we got pheasants squawking in the background. We got cats walking in, and so you got a real treat. And this is a treat for me to do one of these live, uh, opposed to the zooms, which I like. So thanks a lot for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank, thanks again for having me. And uh, and if it, if you are listening and you're interested, the the Patreon page is actually uh, I've called it Alpha Cryptocurrency. So it's it's www.patreon.com slash alpha cryptocurrency. Awesome. Is there anywhere else, you know, again, you've got a whole uh, other career in the group benefits and an employee benefits space and employee pensions. Like, uh, are you on LinkedIn? Are you, where, where are you? You know, you might as well give us a full disclosure of where, where can people find more information or connect with you? Yeah, uh, definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm an employee benefits consultant at Capri CMW Insurance. So uh, you can find me that way. Uh, it's um, capricmw.ca is our is our corporate website. So you can find me there too, and uh, and on Twitter at uh, Alpha Cryptocurrency. Awesome! Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.